0: Today's scripture lesson comes from Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hard hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son treat me like one of your hired hands so he set off and went to his father but while he was still far off his father saw him and was filled with compassion he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him then the son said to him father i have sinned against heaven and before you i am no longer worthy to be called your son but the father said to his slaves quickly bring out a robe the best one and put it on him Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. And at this time, we would like to invite and welcome Curtis Keller to present the message this morning.
1: Now is this Children's Hour? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: just
1: want to make sure I'm on the right page here. So there's a thousand things going through my mind right now, uh, as there always is. Uh, but I first of all want to say thank you for having me this morning. I so appreciate the invitation from Pastor Micah, and it is a privilege. And it's a real honor to be asked to stand in uh, and to bring a message for you this morning. So please accept my humble thanks. Uh, Let's pray. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds together be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. so there's this question that is popular in job interviews and I've run into it a couple of times myself over the years and it goes something like this where do you see yourself in five years well if you're not prepared for that one it can be a little tough to answer off the cuff so I got what I think was clever I came up with a stock answer in your chair, which would always get just a little bit of a start from the interviewer, but I would pretty quickly follow that up with, I want to learn, I want to grow, and I want to become a part of this team to such an extent that maybe one day I'll be invited to manage it. Well, it's kind of hard for an interviewer to disagree that they would really like to have a motivated employee who wants somebody that has no ambition whatsoever. So how about you? Where do you see yourself in five years? How about five days or five minutes? It's, clever answer or not, a plain truth that we don't know where we're going to be from moment to moment. A friend of mine had a heart attack earlier this year. Caught him completely off guard, just like it typically does, folks. It wasn't something that he had really anticipated, but when it happened, it changed his life in an instant. So I'm gonna ask you another question. How many of you would get on an airplane that would be piloted by someone who does not know where they're going? Well, I've been on a lot of airplanes in my life. And quite honestly, I can tell you that one of the most reassuring things about getting on that plane is knowing that the pilot is not only quite competent with the aircraft, knows it well, but is in full control of where it's going. Other than my knowledge of the eventual destination, flying on an airplane is pretty much a matter of participation. You follow some simple rules and instructions and you trust those that are in charge. You trust that they know what they're doing One more question. How many of you would take control of an Airbus A380? One of the largest, most complicated commercial aircraft flying today. Well, again, I probably know more about airplanes than the average person, but I wouldn't dare taxi that aircraft, much less take it off the ground. And yet, I do that every day. And so do you. You see, each morning we get up and we take control of the most complicated thing that God ever created, a human life. And we do it with great confidence that we know where we're going and how we're going to get there but in my life, and I venture to say in yours as well, things seldom work out exactly according to my plans. That's pretty much what happened to the young man in our story this morning. A story that you are probably more familiar with than just about any other teaching in the Bible. He had it planned. He knew what he was doing. He knew where he was going. He was in charge now. He had money in his pocket. Nothing can go wrong. He was free. So he packed up his suitcase, caught up on his email, and he headed for the bus station. They didn't have planes in those days, by the way. And off he went completely confident he knew exactly how things were going to go. Unfortunately, the pilot that he was trusting had no idea where he was going. I see that in myself, the stubborn insistence that I can run my life, but I can't see the future any more than that friend of mine did when that heart attack took him by surprise. So why do we do that? Why do we try to maintain control? I think it's one word. I think it's a word we don't like to hear a lot, and if you're outside the church, you really don't like hearing it at all. It's called sin. What does that mean? Does that mean that we are bad people? Was the prodigal son a bad son? I suspect that he wasn't. In fact, he had a few years under his belt. He had learned from his father what was good and what was bad, what was right, what was wrong, and what was safe. And what would get you killed? I'd be willing to wager that he was a good, hard-working son, but as is all too common, sin crept in. That desire to be in the pilot's seat, even when that voice in the back of your head says, this is not your place you don't know what you're doing. Even the apostle Paul said that he had moments, he had tendencies to do the very thing that he hated. So it happens to all of us. So let me see if I can clarify something. Sin doesn't mean that we are bad people. In fact, I think that's one of the problems that we have when it comes to reaching those outside the church. They feel like we call ourselves the good people and they are all the bad people. But sin doesn't make you a bad person. What it means is that you've inherited a nature, a fallen nature, one that draws us to be selfish. I'd like to think of it more like you are a beautiful creation with a really bad attitude. Selfish, self-centered, it's something we all fight. And there's just no better way to describe sin than that. But just for a second aside, I wanna make sure you know that we're, we're kind of touching just the surface here. Sin doesn't make you a bad person, that's not the question. What sin makes you is dead. And Jesus didn't come to make you a good person. He came to make you alive. In fact, if you were born Jewish, as the young man in our story, and you rejected Judaism, or you refused its instruction, your family would literally consider you dead. Probably a pretty good way to consider you. And that was the case in this story. And let's be perfectly honest. There are a lot of dead people walking around in the world. Desperately looking for something to help them feel in control, to help them feel alive, to help them feel free. So how is that manifested in the world today? Murder, drunkenness, pornography, greed, gossip, you name it. They all have the same root, selfishness, sin. And it's pulling society apart. It's not pretty out there. It's the me, me, me world. And it seems like everyone has a solution, but almost everyone is looking in the wrong place. Have you heard these? Let's create new laws. Let's get rid of old laws. Let's hand control over to the government. Let's defund the police. Let's create safe zones. Let's outlaw certain language. Let's force other pronouns. Let's insist that some people care about, or people care about some lives more than others. But none of those things, none of them will solve a single problem. Because the problem isn't somebody else. It isn't out there. It's in here. It's in the heart, and that is where this is going to have to be addressed. Until there is a change of heart in mankind, there will be no real solutions to our problems. So what happened to the young man in our story? You remember, things got bad. They got really bad. They went broke. He had to get a terrible, humiliating job, and he was continuously hungry. He hit the bottom. And unfortunately, that is quite often what it takes. But before people get to the bottom, they will try anything, and I mean anything, to cure the problem of the heart the only thing that they typically refuse to try is the one thing that works. And in reality, most of the things people are trying aren't cures at all. They're just an attempt to escape. They're trying to flee, not fix the problem. So they'll try drugs, alcohol, sex, sleep, isolation, work, hobbies, possessions, and most recently, redefining biology in an attempt to escape who they are. But what are they trying to escape? Personally, I believe that they're trying to escape the deadness of a soul separated from God. They're trying desperately to feel alive, but they're trying the wrong things because none of those things will satisfy the soul. None of those will fix a problem of the heart because they are selfish solutions. What we need, my friends, is a divine cardiologist. So what did our hero finally recognize or realize when he came to his senses? Let's look at it again. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread, but I am dying here from hunger. I will set out. "'I will go to my father, and I will say to him, "'Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight, "'I am no longer worthy to be called your son. "'Treat me as one of your hired laborers.' "'So he set out, and he came to his father. "'But when he was still a long way off, "'his father saw him and felt compassion for him, "'and ran and embraced him and kissed him. "'And he said, "'Father,' I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, go and bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf. Slaughter it and let's eat and celebrate for this son of mine who was dead has come to life again. He was lost and he has been found. What this young man realized was that being in control, running your own life, isn't what makes life truly good, happy, or prosperous. It didn't work for him and it won't work for us or anyone else for that matter. Let that sink in. For just a moment. We don't know how to fly this plane. We don't even know where it's going to take us today, tomorrow, or next year. There's only one who knows how all of this is supposed to work. Only one who knows the whole plan and where it's taking us. There's only one pilot that knows how to true the course of the heart. The Father. Just like the story. If we are to find our best life, the one our selfish ambitions try in vain to achieve, we have to return to the Father. When we do that, we know our eventual destination. In fact, we're invited to participate in the journey. The God who created everything is eager to bring you back to where you belong. He wants to be the pilot of your life. And it's a lot like getting on that airplane. We listen to some common sense instructions We follow in faith, and we trust that the one who is in charge knows what he's doing. Now, we know our final destination is heaven, but I'm going to be honest with you, this is not a nonstop flight. There is one place we need to go before our journey is over, and that's the cross, Jesus said, if you're going to try to save your life through all of these weak and elemental things of the world, those selfish pursuits that we try to make us whole, you will lose it. But if you lose your life, take up your cross for his sake, you will find it. Jesus will change your heart. Jesus is the solution people have been looking for. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. That is what we must stand up and proclaim to the broken, angry, hurting, dying people of this world. But we cannot give what we do not have. So let me ask you a couple of additional questions. Are you in control of your life? As Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? Is there something that you want, something that you need to say to the Father today? I know that personally, I have to confess every day that I have sinned against heaven and in my Father's sight. I'm not worthy to be in control. I'm really not even worthy to ask Him to fix the mess I've made. But the Word of God assures me that my Father won't just take me back. He wants me back today. I don't need to be in control. He's in control. As soon as I hand over the yoke, I'm free. My pilot knows everything. He's always been in control. He knows where you and I are going, and he knows how to get us there in the best possible way. I can be out of control. Let us pray.